Good morning. Uh, Turn with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue making our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This morning we'll find ourselves in some of the most controversial verses of Scripture in the entire Bible. This, uh, the, the scenarios that are unfolded for us here by Jesus are, are ones that stir up a lot of debate. And I would argue that in many times, in our desire to debate these verses, and to look at every nuance and every scenario possible according to these verses, that sometimes we miss the spirit uh, of these verses. And, and that's what we want to look at uh, this morning is these verses and, 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 and not just every scenario that we could experience in relation to these verses, but the spirit that this ver- these verses tell us we should have in our lives. Starting with verse 38, it says this, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray one more time as we get into these difficult verses. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would do what these verses, I think the overarching theme of these verses is, and God, I pray that we would die to ourselves. That we would confront ourselves, that we would look at, at how we view ourselves and what we expect others to do, of, do for us or to treat us, and that we would, uh, when appropriate, God, that we would pass on what may be our right for the sake of Your kingdom and for Your glory and for Christ. God, move in us. Help us to confront ourselves. Help us to look in the mirror this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. First, let's understand the context. The Old Testament law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was was really created to prevent excess. Uh, It was created to make sure that the punishment fit the crime, okay? So if I accidentally killed your mule, it did not give you the right to in turn kill my child, but we would stay in the realm of livestock as we kind of settled that difficulty, okay? That's what this verse, that's what this law was created to do is to prevent excess, but the Pharisees were misusing it in a, mainly a couple of ways. One is personal enforcement. This, the law was actually given to the judge to be used in law in kind of a formal setting, but the Pharisees was use, were using it in an informal setting that, hey, if you do this to me, I'm going to knock on your door and I'm going to demand that I get to do this to you. And so they were applying in a very personal level when, when this law was originally intended to kind of be used in the realm of, of more of a court-type setting. And they were also using it in a legalistic enforcement, okay? They took what was to be 
restrictive in saying, hey, don't go too far in what you demand. And, and they, had, they had in turn said, hey, if that happens to me, I get this, right? Like, if you do this to me, if you wrong me, then I wrong you back. That if you hit me, I have an automatic right to hit you back. And, and I, I don't, grace never even enters the picture here that, hey, maybe I'll just I'll take this offense and, and not punish you for it. They were using it as, hey, this is my right. You did this to me and I'm going to get what I deserve. In our modern times, these verses are misused as well. For instance, uh, Tolstoy, the Russian writer, said, hey, Christians should be consistent with this verse. That means you really need to be against having an army. Not only that, you really need to be against having a police force. And you need to be against having any magistrates that enforce laws because these verses say, don't resist the evil one. And so what we need to do is in society remove all the safeguards that resist evil and just let evil do what it wants to do. And that's an absolute misapplication of these verses. First, I want you to notice is that these verses are for the Christian. No natural man would ever think about living in such a way. It is only a man made new that would seek to die to himself in such a way as to live according to these verses. Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, It is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth until the Spirit of Christ enters into us. Then something higher is expected of us but not until then. That these verses are for the Christian. And these verses are to be applied to a Christian acting personally. This, this command is not to governments, okay? I mean, people love to, to throw this verse out there as if governments should be willing to turn the other cheek. But the Bible could not be more clear in Romans 13 for it says this, for he is the servant, talking about government, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So a nation who tries to carry out these verses is going to be a very bad nation. A, a government that is going to abide by these verses is going to be a bad government, a police force especially that, that applies these verses of not resisting Evil is going to be a bad police force. And neither does this apply to the soldier, the cop acting on behalf of the government. I believe that, that, uh, that the policeman or the soldier operating in a just war, that these verses of turning the other cheek do not necessarily apply to them. But I also am respectful for the Christian conscience who says, you know, I can't take life. So I'm never going to put myself in, the, in that position. I'm just going to try to avoid any role that makes me 
have to be in that position. I respect that. I, I don't necessarily feel like these verses apply in that situation, but man, don't mess around with conscience. When a Christian feels a certain way in their conscience, be very careful in saying they have to abide by what you've decided. And these verses are examples of the spirit we should have. They're not a comprehensive list of how things should work in every single situation. And so what I want us to do is first, we're going to look at each of these examples that Christ gives. We're going to examine those, and then we're going to come back at the end and look at the spirit, the overarching spirit of these verses. So let's look at them one by one. First, we have the cheek. Dying to self with deferred retaliation. Dying to self with deferred retaliation. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. How hard of an instruction could Christ give? I mean, really, folks, like, is there anything more difficult? Or can you imagine, maybe you've probably never even experienced this, but can you imagine anything more difficult than someone slapping you in the face and for Christ to, to command, instead of slapping them back, just turn the other and offer it to them. But what Christ commands is what Christ has done, right? Right? 1 Peter 2.23 says this clearly. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Jesus did in the crucifixion exactly what He is commanding here. Spurgeon, you know, we would say, and that just makes us doormats. But I love the way Spurgeon put it. He said, he said, we as Christians are to be anvils when evil men are hammers. Now we know an anvil, man, you can hit it with a hammer all day long and it's just going to sit there and take it. But it's not because it's weak, it's because it is so strong. It's not about allowing ourselves to be trampled Without protest, it's strength under control. Even Jesus, when He's facing the beating that He takes, He, he voices protest. He says, man, it, why are you hitting me? I haven't done anything to deserve the, what you're doing to me. He protests, but in the end, He also took it to the very end by offering Himself on the cross. Now that is, Jesus, Jesus could have with a word Turn them all inside out. And yet he took it. The beating, he took the whip, he took the cross. And so when Jesus commands, what Jesus commands us to do is what, in Matthew 5, is what he is going to come back, we see at the end of the Gospels, and live. He is going to endure. Now again, we must be careful taking this as a wooden, literal interpretation. This is a personal decision not to 
avenge a personal attack. This is this does not necessarily mean that we are it is to restrain us in acting to stop a madman or maybe someone who is under the influence of a chemical. It's not us forbid it's not Jesus forbidding us to act on behalf of protecting someone who is weak. This is instruction for a personal attack. This isn't about this is about something that someone is doing to you. It's not about a madman that's shooting up the place just trying to kill people. It's not about the person who's high who has no control over his own decisions who's just out to hurt people. It does not apply in those in those cases. Those types of people should be restrained. This is about a personal attack against us and in turn not avenging ourselves. And this is instruction for personal harm. If others are in danger, I think it it is right for us in a love for those people who are in danger to maybe act on behalf of them to protect them. I I think Jim Elliott, most of you know the story of Jim Elliot. I think, I think him and the four missionaries with him on January 8th, 1956, did exactly what Jesus is commanding here. As you are probably familiar, they had come to Ecuador to, to bring the gospel to very savage Indians. And they were, uh, they were beginning to kind of try to make contact. And they would, uh, with this plane, they would lower these, uh, these, these gifts to them and to just to try to make contact. And so finally they decided, we're going to land. And so they landed and, and suddenly they, they get out and suddenly what they find themselves uh, are in the midst of is not people that are happy that they're there, but men with spears drawn charging them to destroy them. Now what you may not know is that, is that these men were armed. These missionaries had firearms. So Elliot only had a moment to decide what he was going to do about the gun that was in his pocket. But it wasn't really much of a decision because these men had already discussed the fact that we will not kill a lost Ecuadorian. No matter what it costs us, we're not going to kill them. So there was no decision to be made. The men had decided that if it all comes down to it, we will die so that they might have the chance to live. It was a personal decision. There. I don't know how things would have changed if they, that their families would have been there, if their children would have been there with them. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of decisions they would have made then. I don't know. But I know when it came down to these men, they said, we're here to preach Jesus and show this tribe Jesus. So how can we possibly take their lives? And so against all the natural order of defending ourselves, they said, we will simply die. And we know what happened, right? The widows go back and reach those exact 
savages for Jesus Christ. Why? Because these missionaries had died to themselves. They said, hey, as Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot lose. They had died to themselves. But it's not just about slaps in the face or spears in the heart. It's about that insult at work. It's about the harsh word from your spouse. You see how we can, we can get lost and in, in, in a command like this say, well, what about someone that breaks into my house that's about to hurt my family? That's so much easier to think about situations that probably will never happen than to really think about the things the, the affronts that we receive every day and how we respond to them. Romans 12.17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for the, this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We must realize the deep personal application of this. It's not about not defending the weak. It's not about being indifferent concerning law and order. It is a question about how concerned are you about your own glory, your own comfort, your own ego, even your own right to live. Are you willing to be an unmovable anvil of strength that the world hits, but you refuse to hit back? So that as with Jim Elliott and the missionaries, that you may change their lives by not doing what maybe you want to do. Next we have the cloak. And this shows us that we're die- we need to be dying to self by forfeiting our rights. And if anyone would would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I think this is I think this is a good word for us as Americans. We love our rights, don't we? We love them. We love the bill of rights that gives us our freedom. We love to to speak that that is my right as an American citizen. And rights are a good thing. They're a great thing. Did you know that that even Paul, we see the example of Paul being wrongly uh, beaten and imprisoned and they didn't know that he was a Roman citizen and so they handled him in a very unlawful way and they realized what they had done and so the next morning they're like, we're just going to kind of Open the door and let Paul walk out. Paul and Silas. We're going to let them just kind of walk out. You know what Paul does? He says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh. You tell them to come down here and they're going to walk us out. Because they disobeyed the law. And so in this moment, we see Paul using his rights as a Roman citizen to to say, look, y'all hadn't treated us right and you're going to treat us right. But we see so many other times that Paul just absolutely gives up his rights for the sake of Christ. A 
again, this is exactly what Jesus had already done. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He had every right to stay at the right hand of God and yet chose to come to earth to be mistreated. He had every right to absolute comfort and yet He chose to be a homeless man. He had every right to be worshipped as King and He allowed Himself to be rejected. He had a right to conquer and to destroy anyone who would stand opposed to Him, and yet He chose to lay His body down on a cross of torture. Why? He gave up His right so that we might live. So that we would have life. You see, where it says here, give give them your cloak as well, Under the law of the day, the cloak was like the one thing you couldn't be sued for. Like the cloak was like your inner garment, so if somebody took that, you were naked. So they said, okay, we don't want a bunch of people being sued for that because it may be the only piece of clothing you own. So it was against the law for you to lose your cloak. And yet, Jesus' commands here is the very law that is your absolute right that no one can take from you. Give it up for the sake of my name. It's hard commands. Next, the extra mile. Dying to self through submission. It says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Uh, the picture here is a little foreign to us. Like we, like, what does that mean? If someone, how's someone going to make me walk a mile? But in this day, it would have been a very common thing for the ruling uh, government uh, to demand that if they were moving supplies and you were walking through town, they were in their, it was their right to say, come here, we need you to carry this big box to the next station. And they had a right to, uh, to, to make you carry that supply from that station to the next station next military station or whatever it might be. They had that right. And so you go into town or you find yourself in that situation, you had no choice. And Jesus says, not only do you need to have a good attitude about going that mile, you need to say, hey, can I carry it anymore? Can I go another mile? And I have to be honest and say, this is a hard teaching for me. Because I have a lot of distrust in the government. And that distrust seems to to grow more and more each day. Right? A lot of fear in this election of of what's going to happen. And yet, I'm told by Jesus 
to have the best attitude I can possibly have. And to serve the magistrates above me as best as I can as a Christian. Not only don't begrudge the mile of service to them, but give them the additional mile. As far as it depends on us, live at peace with those over us. That's hard. It's hard. But it's what Jesus calls us to do. And then lastly, here among these four examples, we see the beggar. Dying to self through unrestrained generosity. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So again, do we take this as a wooden, in its wooden literal form that if someone walks up and says, give me your life savings, that we absolutely have to do that? Does it mean that if someone comes to you reeking of alcohol and bad decisions and says, give me a hundred, that we absolutely in that situation must give them a hundred dollar bill. Again, this is about an attitude of self-denial. 1 John 3.17 asks this question, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If someone is in need, you sh- your thoughts should not go to yourself, but it should go to the person in need. Let us not be careless enablers that are bad stewards that just throw money at everybody no matter how they use it or will use it. But let us be careful that our care goes to those who, who do need it. And I would say this, that if you are not so generous that at times you run the risk of being taken advantage of, then we're probably doing it wrong. Let us be unselfishly generous to those who we come in contact that need it. So what do we do with all of this? How do we uh, take on such a challenging collection of commands? I think, as with most people, we we have a tendency to make the mistake of going into arguing mode. What if someone breaks into my house? Do I need to turn the other cheek then? What if my neighbor keeps breaking my stuff? What if everything I give them is broken or they keep it? Do I just need to keep giving them my weed eater and buying new weed eaters? What if someone just wrongfully sues me for everything I own and my family's livelihood? Do I not have a right to to stand against that? I think to use these verses in such a way is unhelpful and maybe a little too easy. confrontation we must make according to these verses is a confrontation with ourselves. No Christian can ever reach the Christ-likeness that he is called to without at some point 
confronting self and beginning to die and begin to die to oneself. To have a moment like George Mueller recalls in his own life that he, he came to this moment. We know George Mueller was a very selfless man that took care of, of orphans in an amazing way. He said, there was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller. And his opinions, his preferences, his taste and will, I died to the world. It's approval and censure. I died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved to God. Have you truly came to a moment like that? When you died to others, and, and not only that, you died to yourself, and you said, I want to please God and God alone. Paul had a similar moment. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, he says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, do not even judge, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Christian, there is great freedom that comes to us when we die to self. It is hard to, to hurt a person who has already died to themselves. We become indestructible in the face of the threats of the world. We begin to have unending patience that makes the world say, what's wrong with that person? How can they be so patient with others and, and, and so patient in the face of, of such difficulty? We must understand these con commands in context. If we didn't miss the Beatitudes where we're told to be poor in spirit, to, to mourn ourselves, to look at our sin, and to walk away and realize that we have no righteousness apart from Christ. If we, if we didn't miss the Beatitudes, we'd come to these four commands and go, yeah. Easy stuff. I've, I've already confronted that in the Beatitudes. I've already died to myself way back then. I think the reason we come to these with such difficulty is because we, we walked away, walked past the Beatitudes without truly doing what it said, which is to die to ourselves. In closing, Lloyd-Jones uh, in his series on the Sermon on the Mount gives us a few... Um, ways in which we can confront these things in our lives. And I can't do it better than him, so I'm using his outline here. The first thing we must do is to face this whole problem of self in an honest manner. Why do I care about the things that I care about? Why is this thing upsetting me? Is it, is it some true sense of injustice? Or a sense of unrighteousness? that I'm concerned about? Am I disturbed because I feel the, the glory of God is at stake? Or is it simply about me? 
I'm not getting what I think I deserve. People are not treating me at the level that I think I've arrived at. To really examine this, we need to, to leave generalities and just, ask, and, and just ask ourselves, well, am I selfless? Or We really need to examine, hey, look at the last week and things that have upset you, things that have brought you difficulty and anger and, 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 and annoyance. And look at the things maybe this week begin to apply these questions to your life. If you can't remember back last week, look to this week at some of the things that annoy you and ask yourselves, Am I annoyed and and am I troubled in my soul because these things are truly unjust and they're truly against God or am I upset at these things because I'm not getting what I want? Next, Jones says, realize the extent to which self controls your life. Examine the entirety of of your life. Look at your pocketbook. Look at the friends you've made. Look at the job you have and how you work at your job. Look at how often you share the Gospel with others. And ask yourselves, are these decisions being made because of self? Because I'm worried. Because I want what I want. Or because I want others to to not see me as weird or strange so I don't share the gospel are we so concerned with self that we can't step out of self for a moment to proclaim Christ as someone who desperately needs it so often our entire lives are driven not from the glory of God but for the glory of self as the old simple poem goes just two choices on the shelf Pleasing God or pleasing self. Take that with you this week as you face the choices in your life and, and ask yourself, run, run your choices through that point. Only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Realize, uh, next, Jones says, realize the extent to which the misery and the unhappiness and the failure and the trouble in our lives is due to one thing only, namely self. You know, James chapter 4 tells us what causes fights, what causes quarrels among us is desires that we have that are in superdrive, that aren't being met. Desires that we want to have, not for the glory of God, but to spend it on our own pleasures. That that is why our life is oftentimes in turmoil. The reality is, is that self is so much of a leaky vessel that we can never put our hope and joy in ourselves. As long as we live with with self at the center, we will never know true and lasting joy. So much of our relationships, so much of our marriages and our parenting and our friendships have been destroyed or are in the process of being destroyed simply because of self. Which brings us 
finally to the solution we find at the end of ourselves, and that is the treasure of Jesus Christ Himself. Why was Paul able to look at folks and say, leave me free, and I'm going to preach Christ. Lock me up, I'm going to sing and, and preach Jesus to the guards. Kill me, and I get to go be with Jesus. Why was his joy indestructible? Because he had come to that moment where he died to himself and fell absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. Why were martyrs able to so often walk to their own burning? Singing hymns. Some of them actually kissing the stakes before they were tied to them to be burned. Where does that type of indestructible joy come from? It's because they already died. They had already died to themselves and said, Jesus, whatever You call Me to do to make You look amazing and make You look awesome. Did you know that in those days of Christianity, that they had to stop publicly executing people. Because people were looking at these people dying with smiles on their face and go, faces and going, maybe there is something to Jesus. And they said, we got to stop doing this in public. There's too much joy in the heart of these Christians. And it was because they had already died to themselves. They had already entrusted themselves to the one Jesus Christ, who in, in His very own action did not think about self, but ran into our world to be tortured, to be crucified, so that we could be set free from self, so we could be set free of this destructive, attitude of it's me it's me it's me and so we could let go of that we could we could kill that and then we could say it's jesus 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 you can hurt me you can slap my face you can sue me for everything i have you could do anything you want to to me but i've already died because it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And as you stand, as our musicians come, I would say to you, Christian, have you never quite been what God's called you to be because you've never fully let go of self? That there's so much of yourself that you're still fighting for, that you demand respect for. I would encourage you to respond to Christ and begin to die to yourself. Begin to decrease so that Christ may increase. And I would say to you, if you're here and you're still trusting in yourself for salvation, I would beg of you, I would plead with you that turn to Christ who suffered so that you could be delivered from yourself. I'll be right down here. I would love to talk to someone who who needs to know about how to come to Christ, how to know Christ, the one who selflessly gave Himself 
so that we might be delivered from ourselves. Please respond however God's told you to respond. I'm going to pray and then we will sing. Dear Heavenly Father, God, help us to have above all scenarios, above all the things we can think of concerning these verses. God, above all of that, help us to be those who have died to self. And God, that live for you. God, there is no, God, thank you that there is no self-denial ultimately in Christianity. That turning to you, God, we thank you that in turning to you, there's ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction. God, help us to be people that every day that we die to ourselves so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.